Amen for that? Okay. Let's be in a spirit of prayer together. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh God, in this hour, in these minutes, help us to enter into the text and the story and the words preached and the prayers and be changed by them and transformed by them and comforted by them and haunted by them and moved by them. Let them not just be ancient old words, but words that are alive for this day and for us now. Let all God's people say, Amen. And from that reading from Matthew 25, 31 to 40, that Shannon shared with us. Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. It's about the most chilling, most haunting, most frightening symphony of sounds I've heard in my entire life as a human, as a pastor, as a child of God. First, there's the slam of a huge steel metal door as it slides on a track right behind me, reminding me that I am entering somewhere unlike any other place I visit on earth. Then immediately after that door closes, there's the loud thunk of a locking mechanism as it secures that door tight, closed now, locked to the outside world that I'm leaving to enter an inside world unlike any other. No turning back. For you see, I'm in jail, prison, a correctional institute as these places are known in Massachusetts. In the Norfolk County Jail, a medium security facility located on a narrow spit of land in Dedham on Route 128, just 11 miles from here, 20 minutes by car, and yet it might as well be a million miles away, right? And I'm in there, in the prison, each month on the first Monday night to help teach a class on recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. I'm, not, I'm there not because the men in that place are angels or innocent, Most of them are guilty, and they know it, as they await sentencing, or they've already been convicted of robbery or domestic abuse, drunk driving, or a host of other crimes. I'm there not to lecture to or to demonize those men. I'm there, and I hope as I share this story with you, you'll know it's not to puff myself up, but instead, I'm in there quite simply, to offer to help. To help. 
Fellow children of God who, let's be honest, most of the rest of society does not much want to think about or maybe even care about. I'm there because, well, for me and my faith walks, Jesus actually tells me that I may be called to go into prison, into prison, to help and to serve and to care. And two, I hope, remind those men that there are actually folks on the outside who care about them on the inside, that they are not forgotten, and most important, that they are not beyond the love and the mercy of God, for no one is, right, to help. On this final Sunday of our summer sermon series of why, the question we ask and seek to answer this morning might be the most basic faith query of all. When it comes to being human, when it comes to being a Christian in this world, why help? Why help? Why do we help? Why must we help? Those we are called to help by Jesus in each of our faith walks in this life, to help to assist or serve or visit or feed or comfort or support or speak up for or speak with folks in need in this life. To help. And not just because it makes us feel good, though that feeling is wonderful. And not just because it reminds us we can make a difference, though that feeling certainly brings hope. And not, I pray, because to help somehow makes us look good to others. Friends, is there something instead about the quality of the help we can offer as Christians and the folks we are asked to serve as Christians that makes this help different somehow? Not better, but different. It's an important question to ask because always the world, close to home and far away, it always needs our help. And on this Sunday, barely after a week, in which hundreds and thousands of our brothers and sisters on the Gulf Coast are right now so much in need of our help as they seek to recover after Hurricane Harvey, it is good and it is right to wonder about how we can help and whom we can help as people of faith. To help, that's the challenge that Jesus addresses in today's familiar Bible passage From Matthew, Jesus tells the story of a final judgment, a day when all of God's people will answer to God for the lives that they'd led while on earth. Not to be too flip, but one group is kind of shown an up escalator, if you will, and told of their final destination. And why? Because they serve their fellow children of God, and in doing so, they serve Jesus himself. Imagine that, Jesus incarnate in the flesh, within somehow the least powerful and the most invisible folks on earth. The hungry and the thirsty, those without shelter, the homeless and the sick and those in prison. As the message reports, the king saying, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, 
That was me. So why help? For us as Christians, I think the answer is crystal clear. When we help a neighbor in need, or feed a meal, or make a visit, or reach out to the lonely, or connect with the incarcerated, or advocate for health care for all people, or welcome the stranger or the refugee or those experiencing homeless. Friends, we meet God. God. Face to face, we serve God. We love God. And in a way, we help God. Help God. And this moral imperative is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian, to help. To help and to help those in particular whom the rest of the world so easily or quickly or regularly neglects or forgets. The thing to note about this command as well is where it falls in the narrative and timeline of Jesus' life in Matthew. This is Jesus' last lecture if you will, his last lesson, his final teaching before he goes down to Jerusalem for the final week of his life. To me, it's as if he is saying, friends, this is what I want you to remember. This is what I want you to do, to help. To help. He does not say, after I leave this earth, build churches or create doctrine." Or spin out intricate theology. No. He says just this. Help. Help others. Help those that no one else wants to help. Friends, that's why I go to prison. That's why our own Sarah O'Connell was the first in our town to work with the fire department. And to work to send supplies to Houston. That's why we turn our church into a home for the homeless. One month each year. That's why, in a way, we do everything else as a church. Worship and teach, gather in love. It's all in the service of finally being a people and people who are known in this world as followers of a guy named Jesus. Because we help. We help. There's a beautiful short story written by Leo Tolstoy, written in 1885, and it's titled, Where God Is, Love Is. Has anyone read it? Okay. It tells the story of Martin, a poor Russian cobbler, widowed, childless, all alone, old, who falls in despair and wants nothing of God or faith. A holy man comes to visit, and Martin declares to that priest, I no longer even wish to live, holy man. All I ask of God is that I soon may die. I am now quite without hope in this world. The priest pushes back and says to Martin that to find hope, he must live, not for himself alone, but for others too. Live for God, Martin, said the old man. God gives you life, and you must live for God. When you have learned to live for God, you will grieve no more. The priest directs the cobbler to read and study the Gospels, and so Martin does, but he still wonders how best to serve this seemingly faraway God. Martin reads the Bible fervently, and his heart and eyes are opened, but still he asks, where is God? 
One night he falls asleep, his head open on the Bible, and is suddenly awakened by a voice. Martin, Martin, look out into the street tomorrow, for I shall come. And then the voice is silent. And so that next day, Martin prepares to look for a holy visitor. Instead, he is drawn three times to help three people who walk by his shop. An old soldier who needs new shoes. A hungry and cold mother and infant who need a blanket and shelter. A young boy who is so hungry, he steals an apple. He makes new shoes for the soldier He takes in the mother and the child. He saves the boy from jail. But still, no divine visit. At day's end, he opens his Bible again and suddenly feels as if he is not alone. And a voice whispers in his ear, Martin, Martin, don't you know me? Who is it? muttered Martin. It is I, said the voice. And out of the dark corner stepped the old soldier, who smiled and vanishing like a cloud, was seen no more. It is I, said the voice again, and out of the darkness stepped the woman with the baby in her arms. And the woman smiled, and the baby laughed, and they too vanished. It is I, said the voice once more, and the boy with the apple stepped out of the corner, and both smiled, and then they vanished. And Martin's soul grew glad. He crossed himself, put on his spectacles, and began reading the gospel just where it had opened. And at the top of the page he read, I was hungry, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. And at the bottom of the page he read, Inasmuch as ye did it, Unto one of these, my brethren, even these least, you did it unto me. And Martin understood that his dream had come true, and that the Savior had really come to him that day, and that he had welcomed him. So why help? Because daily the Savior comes to us, hidden, yet always in great need. In a prisoner, in a shut-in, in a child at risk, in a Pine Street Inn guest, in a lonely widow or widower, in a flood victim, in an alcoholic here at church on Wednesday night, in any fellow child of God who needs our help. Where love is, God is. Where love is, God is. To help. For God's sake, let us help. Let all God's people say, Amen. Our middle hymn can be found on the insert in your bulletin, Won't You Let Me Be Your Servant?